My guest today is an author of a new book about suicide. Learn to breathe again. Give a warm welcome to Lark Dean Gala. The Interviewer with Beef Tech. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, author. Yeah, no problem. You know, uh, it's, um, this is a really serious subject. And, you know, with this political situation that we have right now, I could see a lot of people thinking of uh, taking their own life. Mm -hmm. And um, tell me a little bit about what led up to uh, your book. Sure. Well, and just to add to the political situation with the, the coronavirus, people are in lockdown and they're isolating, which contributes to um, the feelings that normally people have when they go down that route to take their own life. And suicides are actually, suicide attempts are up by 30% this year. So that, that is heartbreaking. And yeah. that's the main reason that I decided to write a book is that we need to make suicide um, a topic that we're willing to talk about. Get rid of the stigma, the shame around it, and let's talk about it. Because what I have found in my life is that if we don't talk about it, and then the people who are feeling depressed and suicidal, they think I'm the only one. And so that creates the, you know, even more isolationist tendencies, and then they eventually do take their life, which is heartbreaking. So um, the thing is, too, is like if you get into a deep depression, a lot of people don't know that they're super depressed. And mm -hmm. like, what are some of the signs of being really depressed? You know what? You, you're, you're lethargic. You really don't have any um, lust for life. There's, there's nothing that gets you excited. Um, there's no emotional highs or emotional lows. You're just, you know, you just kind of are just going along, tapping out of feeling anything. And, and that's really scary place to be. You know, it's good that we can feel sadness and grief and those things because that means we're human. And it also allows us to feel the good things as well. Like, you know, it seems like I saw, I don't know if you like Star Trek, but uh, Balana from Voyager was really depressed and she wanted to go, go into, um, do a lot of fighting. So she gets injured and she feels something. And I don't know. Uh, I guess that's one of the signs. I don't know. Yep, that's that's one of the signs, you know, and and people are just sad. They think that it will never get better and they're concerned, you know, especially this year with, with the virus. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. Plans have changed. People are not around other people, you know. So these isolationist tendencies, that's exactly opposite of helping you heal. Uh, I know that before my father took his life, he he wanted so much to come to family gatherings and be with the family, but then also the, those isolation tendencies, you know, his mental illness was such that he would grab his food and then he would leave, even though we all knew that he really wanted to be with us. He just had such a hard time being around other people. And so he's thinking it'll be better if I go off by myself. But in reality, it's being with other people and that will help sustain you and support you. I don't know about you, but I, when I get a good hug, I, it makes me feel better. Is that like, is there any clinical? Yes. <laughs> 20 seconds and you can, uh, you know, um, emit endorphins that feel good. So 
hugs for 20, 20 seconds at least. And that releases these endorphins that make you feel good and safe and okay. And that's, that's why human touch is so important. Yeah. So with your father, uh, how old were you when this, when he took it? So this was, um, it's coming up on seven years this January. So I would have been in my late forties at the time. Um, this, um, and so it's, yeah, like I said, it's almost seven years. I just went into denial. I completely shut down. I don't even remember functioning. I don't remember how my kids got fed. I, I don't remember five months of my life after he died. Uh, and I couldn't talk about the fact that he died by suicide. Most of my good friends didn't even know that that's how he really died. Mm. And then uh, almost 20 months ago, when my 19-year-old son took his life, I started to go into that depression and that hole. And I didn't want to talk about it because of the shame and the stigma. And what happened over the course of the next few days after his death was a lot of my friends reached out to me and they told me about their concerns with their teenagers who knew my son. And if you're familiar with copycat suicide, especially amongst teenagers, one of them takes their lives and the next, the next, the next. And I could see this chain reaction going on. I knew I couldn't change anything about the past but I could change the future. And that's what catapulted me into being willing to talk about my son's suicide and to suddenly take on this cause that was greater than myself. Yeah. And while it's not been easy and it's not something I would have said, oh yes, I'm, I'm going to take this on or it's nothing I would have ever seen myself doing. It has given me a, a reason and a meaning to change the future and help other people. And, and that's what has supported me. Yeah. So when this was happening, both your, your father and your son, you probably, when you did the book, um, you must've did a lot of research and then maybe cross examination that with what actually happened in your real life. Is that, am I off basis or like, how did you? You know what? It wasn't a lot of research. It was more of a story and kind of bringing in, there are certain facts. And the facts are that uh, I live in Utah and suicide is the number one killer of youth in Utah, which I did not realize before my son died. Um, it's also the number two killer nationwide. And, you know, you have your middle age to upwards 45 to 60 year old men tend to also be a high category. Um, they're feeling a lot of stress, their inability maybe to support and care for their family, their identities tied up with their job, et cetera. So you have certain groups who are, who are more um, susceptible to suicide and both my father and my son fell into those two groups. So I, I did a little bit of that, but it was more kind of my story. I added a chapter at the beginning about my, my growing up because my father was undiagnosed uh, with, with depression, with bipolar. It wasn't until he was in his 50s that, that this diagnosis came out. And I talk about how my childhood was so unstable. We moved every year of my life. You know, my dad was always changing jobs and just we didn't have any money and very, very poor and these things that would go on, but my father would make it always like an adventure yeah. because he had that mania going on. And so bipolar is, um, 
highs, lows. Yes. Real yes. middles, just highs and lows. Exactly. Yeah. And so when we, you know, he'd get excited about something, it would be an adventure. And then there would be this emotional withdrawal where I, I knew he was there physically, but he was not emotionally present. He was not connected to his kids. So all, I'm the oldest of seven. I grew up as, as did my siblings with uh, very detached emotions for, for my father. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's hard. Yep. You around a lot like that when you're young too. It's, yep. It's kind of rough because then you got, was it still like in the same area or did you have to be in different schools? Oh, different, different schools. I went to a different school every year of my life. I was lived in different, six different states. Just the, the, you know, the instability was, was incredible. And it's just yeah. because he was trying to run after these demons, always searching for, for peace and never really finding it. And so now I can see that. But as a child, you know, we didn't understand why we had to experience all of this volatility in our lives. And writing this chapter helped me because I realized that I parented in a, in a certain way slightly OCD, but very, you know, strict schedules and it had to be this way and things have to be tidy. And as I was writing this chapter, I realized I parent that way because I had such an, um, an unstable youth. I was trying to create some kind of stability in my life. And, and that's why I parented the way I did, you know, unfortunately for my son who, who pushed back against me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so how many kids do you have? So that's another story. <laughs> Up until three years ago, I would have told you that I had three. But if you are familiar with the movie Elf, uh, where, you know, uh, <laughs> it's an awesome movie. Uh, my husband, who's from New Orleans, got a call about three years ago. And uh, a young man that was 27 called and said, I think you're my daddy. And we did some DNA tests, and yes, he was his daddy. What? He, yeah. oh, oh, he's so in trouble. Uh, you know, it was it was long before he met me, right? And so here we have um, a daughter, a son, and a daughter, and now we're coming in with this older son who is married, has three daughters, and then a boy on the way. So we were immediate grandparents overnight, and that was a bit of a shocker, right? Uh, so. So now I would say we have four children. You know, one of the boys is in heaven. He's not here, but we've also gained four grandchildren. And I believe it was divine intervention that, that this son came to us at that time because he and his family have been a huge support. And I put that in, I put a chapter about this boy and the situation in my book as well, just because, you know, uh, it, it, he had a lot of strength to reach out to my husband because there have been situations where, you know, birth children reach out to their parents and they get shut down and no, I don't want to be with you. We, we chose just the opposite. We totally embraced him and his family. Uh, we have a great relationship with them and they have proven to be like just a healing balm in our life. And, and we're so appreciative. That's pretty amazing that because that usually doesn't happen is something something like that usually they have a garage and they don't want to contact it's, it sounds like he's like a really good person he is a wonderful person you know wonderful he's a great man a great husband a great father um we couldn't be more proud that he's in our life so i mean uh, genetic wise 
you know, having a uh, bipolar uh, father, do you struggle with uh, depression? You know what, uh, um, as I mentioned in my book, I've kind of learned to deal with it in some ways. Um, this has gone back in history. My father's mother and his, and his grandmother both struggled with depression. Um, several of his siblings did. I know that several of my siblings, some of my cousins have, you know, struggled with, with depression. A couple of them are, are actually diagnosed bipolar and a couple of them have attempted suicide themselves, you know, over, over the years. And so it's been quite scary. I have felt, you know, those dark places at different times. Uh, fortunately, I never came up with a plan to kill myself, which is a huge um, indicator that there, there's much more significant things going on, right? I think a lot of us, you know, sometimes feel like, ah, oh, I wish it would just be over, it's too hard. But those of us who actually come up with a plan, that's scary. And that's what happened with my son. And I didn't realize that, you know, him coming up with a plan even though he said everything's fine and it was, you know, I'm doing well. And it, that plan sat dormant for three and a half years. It was still there. And so when you see someone who's struggling and they seem they are depressed, they tell you they're suicidal and then they seem to get better and they seem happier. It's often because they've come up with a plan and they're just waiting to execute it. They know they have an out when life gets too hard. And that's shocking for the rest of us because we, you know, we're not expecting it. We think they're fine. And in reality, they are not. Yeah. Um, let's get a quick overview of the different chapters. How many chapters do you have in the book? You know what? I would, I think there's 11. I, I don't have one on my desk, so I don't, I don't have it all memorized, but there's about 11. It's, it's a pretty quick read. You know, I made it so that it's engaging. It's, it helps you uh, to think about things in your own life with your relationships. Um, are, you know, are your parents struggling maybe with your, your relationship with your children? I absolutely parent differently now. Maybe, you know, you look back on your childhood and, and some things that happened there. And, and then I talk about grief and grief happens to all of us, whether you've lost someone or not, that, that you know, there's a grief of, of losing a job or of a divorce, any, any kind of things like this where, where you can go through grief. And I talk about how my family grieved, how we were in different stages of grief, how we had to allow each other and respect each other wherever we were. And, and so these are the things I bring up. I also talk about you know, how suicide is an epidemic and we need to be more aware and sensitive and talk about this. Yeah, Let's, uh, <clears throat> I like to hear, let me get three, three different examples how to try to get out of uh, depression or a, a down, like besides a hug, what else can you do? <laughs> yeah, so you're right. So, so touch, you know, the hug, um, thinking, I would say gratitude. Gratitude raises your vibration and it actually brings you clo as close to your higher power as you can possibly be. So um, being grateful, if we can start our day with one thing that we're grateful for that often sets the tone for the day, and, and kind of helps us say, okay, it's not quite as bad as I think. You know, honestly, um, when, when my son passed away, there were a couple of friends that were complaining that, oh, I, I was in a fender bender. I'm going to need to come out of pocket with a couple hundred dollars. And she would like go on about it. Like it was the worst thing in the world. And I just gently said to her, you know, things could be worse. And, and that's sort of my motto now is that it could always be worse. And just, just to put things in perspective and, 
and say, this is not the worst thing that could happen and, and to show gratitude. So that's really important um, to have interaction with other people, reach out. If, if you sort of um, have to quarantine and you're isolated, try to do Zooms, you know, I mean, texting is one thing and, and voicemail is another, you know, talking on the phone, but, but Zoom, I think has been such a blessing because I can't touch you, you know, but I can see you and, and you're a real person there, right? Okay. I think that helps. You might be a robot. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Just testing you. you. You got it. Um, any last ideas you want to talk about? Any? You know what? I in the last twenty months, I've really done a lot of uh, research into what what are the resources out there. Where can parents go? Uh, where can people who are grieving or those who are feeling suicidal? What can you do? So. On my website, I have a tab called resources. And it's specifically to find resources that I feel are relevant and that can help you. You know, there's a mental wellness test on there. There is a, a clinical therapist, a psychologist that I've partnered up with that we are putting together some, some courses on, you know, suicide prevention, grieving, uh, helping parenting with your kids. I like his philosophy because it's the same as mine, which is, you need to love your kids no matter what, no matter what, you know, if, if they are doing things that you don't personally agree with, you know, you just love them. That's your job. You just love them. Well, so. uh, uh, book again, let's hear okay. all the, the Okay. So sure. So the website is larkdeangalley.com, larkdeangalley, G-A, and the galley is G-A-L-L-E-Y. And you can get a link to my book there, or you can find it on Amazon. It, it, it's officially releasing on November 10th, but it's, it's up there now for pre-orders. It is called Learning to Breathe Again, Choosing to Heal After Losing a Loved One to Suicide. So Learning to Breathe Again. Okay. Well, thanks for, uh, I really appreciate being on the show. And, Thank you. Uh, you know, I feel like this is such an important message. It's, it's very timely and people need to understand the severity of, uh, you know, the suicide statistics and that it's, it's something that we need to be more aware of so that it doesn't happen to, to you, honestly, you know, it's, it's a very sad and tragic thing. Thank you. Thanks. The Interviewer with Beef Tech. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or if you want to be on the show, you can email me at the interviewer with beef tech at gmail.com.